and welcome to the Edition Podcast, a weekly chat about all things tech and media with some of the biggest names in the business. I'm Charlotte Henry, uh, your humble host, and I'm very pleased this week to be joined by a very old friend of mine, uh, Lauren Ingram. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. I should say that, well, I'm not going to say how many years Lauren and I have known each other. Let's just say it's, we went to school together, we'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> Lauren, you won Women of Web3, including the podcast, which we'll talk about in a bit because you've got season two coming out in a week's time. So that's great. But we were talking just before, just casually, because we bumped into each other at the podcast show London last week. And you said, and I entirely agree with you, that it was so nice to be at one of these media things where everything was kind of buzzy and thriving. I completely, it felt really uplifting, actually, like creative and people were really optimistic about the future of podcasting. Totally. And even even just something as basic as seeing how the stands there, you know, like people are kind of like these companies have really gone to town on making something beautiful or Instagrammable or exciting or they might not have like amazing freebies, but, you know, whatever. But um, it just showed, yeah, an industry that's that's doing really well, that there's like lots of investment going in uh, and yeah, an industry that's on the up. And that felt really good. Yeah, it really did. People were like really buzzing. There was lots of like exciting, creative conversations about what's next. And it felt, it was really nice hearing people talk about like podcasting is nowhere near its peak Mm. and how interesting advertisers were in it and all the different opportunities there are, as opposed to when sometimes when you're dealing with like digital media or certainly print media, people, it's all about surviving. And this felt really thriving, I thought. So yeah, it was really nice. 100%. Yeah, uh, you're here to talk about Web3 though. Now, This is something I'm both relatively ignorant about and deeply cynical about. So let's kind of start at the beginning, which is what is Web3? Okay, cool. Uh, And I'm uh, that's often the first question because it is confusing and there's a lot of jargon and acronyms in Web3. But just to define Web3 itself, we're talking about the third major iteration of the Internet. So if Web 1.0 was, uh, well, the initial World Wide Web, basically websites. Web 2.0 was mainly the dawn of social media, but it's also things like the sharing economy, you know, Airbnb, Uber, et cetera. But it's basically, we started connecting people up totally differently using apps and platforms. Web 3.0 or just Web 3 is the kind of next major phase we're talking about. So it's um, a lot of it's blockchain based. So things like blockchain itself, NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens, cryptocurrency, uh, something called DAOs, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, who comes up with this stuff. Uh, And then it can also talk about the metaverse and sometimes even AI. It's basically this catch-all term for everything that comes next, much of which is decentralized with the view of, um, or with a vision to sort of remove these central social media powers, this central banking powers, um, and have a sort of community-owned internet is, is the kind of utopian dream. Yeah. Um, thank you for that, because I think you said it last time you were on the show, which was far too long ago. So I'm glad we've kind of got back to that, because there's been a lot happening in this space since we last spoke. Um, and I guess I have to ask you, given the crypto, you know, crypto crashes we've had and the sign of, it seems to me, the lack of interest in NFTs, which are, I mean, I don't really know how to describe them, correct me. NFTs, I always think as kind of the internet, you know, the crypto kind of art. So you, we've seen things like, uh, what was it? The angry gorillas, the angry apes. They were quite fun, weren't they? Uh, <laughs> or Dave oh, Yacht Club, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All those kind of things. Um, but it feels to me like the tide has rather turned. And I'm sure you can give a good case to why. But I have to ask, what, what's what gone wrong with Web3 since we last spoke? Oh, 
I, I don't know if I'd go as, as extreme as what's gone wrong with Red 3, but there definitely has been a bit of a reset. I think that's that's totally fair. There have been some uh, you know, public failings and like sort of crashing and burning of quite big companies. Um and yeah, there has been a bit of a reset. I do also feel like there's fewer time wasters in the space, which feels really good because I think there was if previously there was a bit of a sort of like gold rush of you know excitement and money grabbing. But from the outside, it really did feel like a gold rush to me. I mean, I've never really yeah. got involved in Web3. I put I think I put 50 quid in, or it might have been a total of 100 quid over two different times in like, you know, some cryptocurrency just to try and understand it a bit more. But it does feel like something has changed. Yeah, Asha, that's interesting that you say that you've tried it out. I think that's a really sensible plan to just like literally just dabble a little bit to understand the technology better. We'll just go like see what it is. Um, and also fair enough that that you weren't taken in by even having tried it out that's that's also allowed um but uh i think yes yeah, some of that more speculative market is you know ha has gone downhill there's been a sort of downward market in the same way as there have been in broader markets but i think what i'm excited about is kind of there's gonna be more and more interesting use cases of nfts so if it has been about sort of these digital art uh basically like digital trading cards they do sometimes get called digital collectibles i think that's kind of a better description mm. than non-fungible tokens um which is a it's of which is talking about how unique they are and, you know can't be exchanged for something of the same value they are totally unique nfts um but i think there is a role for that speculative version of nfts but i think brands are trying out more and more with with them it's basically a sort of official almost like certificate of ownership so like what could you sure. do with that in digital spaces of like does it give you access to something else digital does it give you access to free in real life events or perks or something fun or it could be like i think it's going to be common in future to have for example your house deeds would be an nft or your insurance policy would be that uh because it's a sort of official token stored on the blockchain that says mm. this person owns this and um, transacted on this date for this much etc yeah i have always rather thought that blockchain technology itself the very the sort of fundamentals is going to be hugely useful whether it's kind of you know property ownership like you're talking about i can see uses for it in health records um there's all sorts of use cases for important data that i can certainly see blockchain will be useful and I, I get that completely but it's more the kind of what feels to me like quite grifty projects that have made me cynical i should point out actually as we're talking uh bitcoin is up on you know a six month high against the pound so you know it's up over a six month period i should put it so you know it's not all crash and burn so i should be fair on that front but yeah <laughs> do you think that's right that we'll use blockchain for like things that we maybe store in apps now or have buried on some website the blockchain will be useful for storing that kind of data. Yeah, I, I absolutely think it's those kind of use cases we're going to get better and better at. Sometimes the use cases of blockchain or, or sort of broader Web3 is like a solution looking for a problem. But mm. I, I, I do feel like we are at the kind of MySpace era of Web3 <laughs> of like, you know, we, there's some quite cool stuff happening. And yeah, it feels like we're sort of almost there and we're actually we're about to have some like better use cases or like quite cool companies that probably have been founded by now but haven't you know they're not necessarily in the public conscience mm. consciousness um in the same way um the amateurs like me don't really know about yet but maybe will one day <laughs> yeah I, I wouldn't put it like that but but yeah 100 there's going to be more of that and i think yeah things like um health data you're totally right or um people being able to kind of token gate access to their data of like who they want to 
you know, as an individual who you want to share your data with, that can be token gated using this technology. Um, I think we're going to see more and more of that, that you know, because we've already seen obviously quite a lot of backlash towards traditional social media. And said that we haven't all stopped using Instagram. Twitter, if only. <laughs> so, um, and, and actually I do think with this stuff, I don't see it as replacing what's come before it in the same way as we haven't got rid of websites. Like we, we still have websites. Yeah. Uh, so I think this is going to be just like another sort of digital touch point. Mm. And I mean, you talked about token gating. and I assume that means basically you can decide how and who has access to the token, i.e. the bit of data that you're worried about. Um, Do you think that, say, something like people obviously be worried, like if your house deeds, your mortgage information or your health information is on a blockchain or the blockchain, people will obviously be concerned about the privacy issues around that because the whole point of the blockchain, as I understand it, is that it's decentralized and fully verifiable by anyone. So how, what, what would you say to people who are worried about the privacy implications as we move to a blockchain base? Um, uh, not all information on the blockchain is publicly available. Um, uh, but a lot of it is, I suppose that's, I suppose that's partly what's got people excited is that kind of, yeah, publicly verifiable nature of the data. Which makes sense Um, with some things like who owns this NFT, you know, is your crypto wallet, your crypto wallet. That kind of stuff makes sense. But obviously, when if we're using more personal data, people are going to get worried about it, aren't they? Quite rightly. So how do you think we can reassure people? Look, obviously, you and I are not engineers, as you say, but people will obviously want some level of reassurance, as they did when we started putting, you know, the NHS app here in the UK and our health data was there. Uh, that's obviously going to be a concern going forward, isn't it, for people? Yeah, and actually, I think there's a biggest blockchains do need to do more to reassure people um, with that sort of, yeah, decentralized and quite often anonymized Web3 community, blockchain community. Um, I think they do need to do more to reassure people and demystify it um, because, you know. Yeah. I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go on. I'm really pleased you used the word demystify because actually I think that's the key thing because to most of us, Web3 feels like this weird thing that kind of some quite you know, the nerdy people do, and some people have made a load of money from it and the rest of us don't really understand it and that's fine. Um, I'm not just saying this because we're mates, but I think one of the things your project does at least is try and work towards demystifying it. And I guess, you know, obviously a lot of this show is about the media and how we do things. And part of what the media has to do now is if this technology is growing, is to really explain it properly and uh, to use your word again, demystify it. Mm. I, th- I think some of that is going to be down to just literally using plain English, um, mm. of like talking about what's the human benefit of some of this stuff or like, what do we mean by these words? Yeah, exactly. Um, and describe it in language humans can actually understand. Yeah. So like, for example, when I talk about the metaverse, I sometimes talk about it as like a 3D version of the internet that we'll be able to move through. So it'd be a sort of mix of virtual reality. So like, sort of, you know, headsets, as we think of them, of like yeah. the 3D augmented reality, which is actually things like Instagram or Snapchat filters where you're layering digital information over the real world. Uh, and then you've got mixed reality, but essentially, yeah, the metaverse is going to be like a 3d internet, but actually when you start using the other, uh, yeah, with any of this web three terminology, when you start using the other terminology to define it, that's when you get, get yourself either tied in knots or you really confuse, um, mm. the general public. Cause you start talking about the blockchain being immutable, um, and actually lots of people don't know the word immutable or like you say non-fungible token. You're like, right, I'm going to define what fungible is first, but actually no one cares what fungible is. Uh, no, no, it's just more like 
what is it you know what is this it's a digital contract it's you know digital art whatever what you know different yeah. more human ways of describing these things yeah and i think we will get better at that and th i think at the moment you're right is this sort of more geeky thing i think there is actually a little bit of gatekeeping and a sort of like pride around mm. um uh you know using this jargon to keep some keep some people out but actually those same <laughs> i guess geeks some of those same people would love to see mass adoption of these technologies um but you're not going to see that until people start to sort of fully understand it. They're not going to embrace it when they don't understand it. No, obviously we're very pro geek here at the edition, but I think your <laughs> point about insiders is a really good one because you have lots of advocates for web three telling everyone, this is how their life's going to be. This is what's so important. You've got to be on board with this, get in early, but also making it really difficult for people to get in early. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like the, a lot of the usability isn't there yet. It is improving. There are, you know, there is the possibility of, for example, buying an NFT using uh, fiat currency, AKA money as we would know it rather than cryptocurrency. Right. Um, this stuff is starting to get easier. Um, but yeah, there, there is still, there is still work to be done there. Yeah. And uh, it's part of the reason I was quite keen to have you back on the show because you've got to at least have sort of human conversations about this stuff. Cause I don't think it's going away because it, you know, as we said, we've given uses for kind of things that blockchain and what else should surely be useful for. What's interesting though, and I know this is something you've been looking into, is the sort of way AI seems to have accelerated in the last six months. And to me, as an outsider in this space, it feels like the media conversation, the social media conversation um, has been where we were talking about crypto and Web3 and the blockchain before. It seems now like on midnight on New Year's Eve, suddenly everyone started talking about AI and then that's what's happened the last five, six months. It, it, it just has kind of made me laugh how one has overtaken the other. One sort of craze has overtaken the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. A lot of uh, crypto bros that were sort of making a name for themselves <laughs> on LinkedIn or Twitter, um, yeah, overnight became AI experts. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm definitely really interested in the AI conversation. I would never profess to be a, an AI expert. And yeah, most of the people out there, in fact, most people that call themselves an AI expert are probably not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. But, um, but I do think it speeds everything else up. And I would see it as, even if it's not a decentralized technology, I would see it as um, what comes next in the web. Um, it's in this sort of group of emerging technologies that are all kind of spurring each other on. Mm. Um, and I, th I think you're right about that kind of, a lot of the attention is going to AI. All of these companies are kind of in a rush to release their products. I, I'm nervous about that in terms of like, what's the kind of, yeah, again, human implication mm. of that, of has, has this stuff been thought through properly? That, you know, when things like uh, Facebook created a like button. Right. Um, have, yeah. Have yeah, we learned what, from Web2? <laughs> yeah. Have we learned from Web2? Have we thought about what some of these smaller product decisions what the implications are longer term because it, it, especially when you talk about something like generative ai ai is inherently biased because it's fed by human data and humans are biased um so and uh, well let's be blunt it is often fed by white men yeah, now, it, yeah. a lot of the conversations you have and the you know the the clues in the title you started women of web3 and I've known you long enough, I think I can probably judge what part of your motivation was, was to make sure that women were not shut out of the conversation about Web3. And I guess that now extends to AI. Um, ha have you found that actually 
within people talking about Web3, the female voice is getting stronger and you can claim whatever credit you want. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to women of Web3. No, uh, (laughs) uh, I think things are improving. But when you look at something like at the founder team, like startup founders Mm. level, it hasn't really improved much yet. Um, So like we're now at, it's still like 87% of Web3 founders have, uh, are they are all male founding teams. Like that's quite extreme. Um, And so- Even for tech, that's quite- Yeah, like 87% is all male founding teams. That is quite extreme. And so I think there's a a big job partly on that gatekeeping piece I talked about of um, helping people feel welcome. And part of that actually does include breaking down jargon to make it make sense and let women and other groups feel they can participate in it but then also it's also about the kind of interest level of like i think uh guys have already been interested in more of the kind of gaming or trading crypto there's there's kind of more men have been doing this stuff in their spare time than women have so you need again you need to sort of education piece of like here's what's interesting about it here's where you need to pay attention and just referring back to what you're saying about whether to get in early I don't think getting in early should be about necessarily trying to buy Bitcoin or whatever crypto or NFT at the lower value. I think getting in early is like uh, getting to understand this technology as early as you can so that it doesn't pass you by. Because I I do think that women are at risk of being left behind in what I see as a sort of big tech revolution. And uh, if they're not sort of whether they're not paying enough attention or they're not made feel welcome or they're allowed to be part of this revolution, then they are going to get left behind quite quickly. And I, I do find that quite worrying. Mm. I, I agree. What do you think is causing that? That kind. Of, I mean, we mentioned the gatekeeping piece, but in terms of why you feel women might be shut out, what do you think is driving that beyond the kind of gatekeeping element? Because um, there's no, as with all these things, there's no actual reason why women, you know, women are not less capable of understanding Web3. No, or, exactly. You know, I suppose maybe connected to that, I think risk comes does come okay. into it if like um if women take fewer risks whether that's by nature or nurture and i think it's, it's definitely well i think it's probably both but a lot of yeah. it is nurture is that if we're as women trained not to take risks to sort of take the the safe route then things that are as volatile as cryptocurrency or an nft market or even just yeah sort of brand new burgeoning emerging technologies where you're not quite sure if you're going to make a mistake when you start using it um that you know that's naturally going to sort of prevent this like large swathes of people a lot of them women from using this stuff yeah i think that's right and i do think i want to keep hammering home the point about the gatekeeping element actually because i think that's it's really important and i guess that was one of your motivating driving factors for starting the women of web3 podcast yeah absolutely um it was yeah we weren't really hearing women's voices in this space like if if, as soon as you start googling anything to do with web3 blockchain, the metaverse, et cetera. It's, it's usually guys talking about it that are, um, yeah, it's, it's a sort of fairly homogenous group that's talking about it, um, or sort of being spotlighted. And so I wanted to change that sort of, yeah, highlight women doing amazing things in this space. So in a way in the podcast, we don't actually talk that much about being a woman in the space. I'm literally just talking about what they're building and like sort of, uh, you know, hearing about their career, what persuaded them to sort of jump into this burgeoning space. Um, and yeah, I suppose, yeah, highlighting their successes and using that as an opportunity to kind of, you know, create role models for other women that might be considering learning about this stuff or, or even working in it. Yeah. Ironically, one of the most prominent female names in this space, 
in my opinion, is Molly White, who set, set up the website Web3 is going just great, which kind of catalogues a load of grifts and failures and all sorts of things. So maybe the kind of slightly cynical female approach, even if you want to make Web3 work and believe in it, is no bad thing either. <laughs> I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to remember who told me this, but when they said it, it rang true, was that they said there seem to be more male founders in any of this space and more female commentators in this space and as soon as oh. I, I'm trying, I can't remember who said this to me and I, was, and I was like oh my god you're completely right even even something like women of web3 is more of a kind of you know we're not building a tech product we are building educational products for people to then sort of understand the tech um and so you know we're we're sharing information sharing news sharing learning resources uh yeah we're, we're not building it yeah it's kind of yeah that is really interesting and I guess you need a bit of both, really. Obviously, for me as a, the media person, I'm kind of like, that's great. I love, I want women to explain this thing. It's not going anywhere. If it's good, bad, indifferent, I want women to kind of to be at the forefront of explaining it. But equally, mm. it's true. You've got to have women involved in creating and building this stuff. Otherwise, I, I mean, everything just gets homogenized, as you say. Mm. Uh, that doesn't really benefit anyone. Uh, just quickly on the AI piece, do you consider AI to be part of Web3? Because I think a lot of people have tried to kind of almost rival it. Say, you know, we were joking before about the tech, the crypto bro becoming the AI expert overnight. And I think people have tried to see it as two different paths. Do you kind of see them as one and the same, actually? Uh, not in an absolutist sense. And okay. I think you're right. Web3 purists would not necessarily count AI uh, because it's because it's not decentralized. Um, and it's not sort of part of a metaverse, but I genuinely do see it as like powering every element of this stuff. So like, especially anything metaverse, you're more creative. You do need generative AI to power that stuff. And you're also going to see companies like Web3 or crypto companies are going to be more likely to be harnessing things like ChatGPT to kind of scale their businesses quickly by automating loads of things um, that you're going to see small teams building big products. Yeah, that makes sense. We should just quickly on the metaphors, actually, that was the thing lots of people were getting very excited about. I slightly suspect that that was a uh, pandemic thing where mm -hmm. it was like, we're going to be in front of our screens forever and slightly underestimated how much people wanted to be back in human form together. And I think there was a lot of excitement about that. And I haven't yet seen any mass adoption or even the potential for mass adoption. Um, and obviously we've seen in Meta, Facebook, that they're having, they're very, obviously they're deeply invested in this, but it's obviously a bit of a struggle for them as well to get the mass adoption that we're talking about. What's your kind of perception of where the metaverse is going? Um, I do think you're right. Some of the hype has definitely passed. Um, I don't know if you know Gartner's hype cycle, but I think <laughs> but, but for like a few of these technologies, we are probably down in the trough of disillusionment. Uh, <laughs> but, but I do also think like on that same curve, which sort of comes back up again, I think you will gradually see mass adoption of a lot of this stuff. I think the metaverse will take longer to take off um, because of the um, it's prohibitively expensive to buy a VR headset. Mm. Um, and so actually, I, I think the conversation will be revived when Apple um, announces its sort of um, AR yes, which like could be mixed, mixed reality headset. Which could be imminent. Although I don't, I suspect that Apple is not going to be the cheap entry point because it isn't to anything but totally having um, a company like apple in the space obviously does make a difference you're definitely right about that yeah and the fact so i think that's going to get announced on june 5th this is what yeah it, um, imminent 
will be uh, when you're listening to this you if you're slightly delayed listen to it it might even exist by the time you're listening to this show <laughs> yeah and I, I i do think it's going to revive a lot of these conversations but we'll be kind of i think there'll be conversations around you know, defining like what do we mean by a metaverse um uh you know how how quickly is this stuff actually going to be joined up virtual worlds that we can sort of move seamlessly between like how far away is that um actually we uh, might even be pleasantly surprised how soon that stuff is yeah and i think probably though that the founders and the people behind these companies are probably going to have to do more than just be excited at digital legs i'll never forget the, <laughs> the there's legs now and like digital mark zuckerberg jumping up and down which okay um tell us quickly about you've got season two of your podcast women of web3 coming out next week yeah can you reveal any of your exciting guests can you reveal any of your subject matter why should, it's what, all what incredibly top secret no i'm is it <laughs> no, is it? no 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 it's, it's hidden um... on a token gated <laughs> blockchain no one can ever find out um uh so the first guest i mean it hasn't been announced but um uh <laughs> um I, I don't think everybody's waiting with bated breath but i i'm genuinely really excited about this uh she's called alice delahunt is the first guest uh so you sh she used to be chief digital officer at Ralph Lauren. Um, before that, she sort of led social media for Burberry. She's now started her own sort of digital fashion uh, startup, marketplace, community, like all seeing eye, um, doing some very cool things. And her biggest investor is Alexis Ohanian, who's the yeah. um, former founder of Reddit. So um, I think she's kind of at the beginning of a really interesting trajectory. So yeah, it, it felt like a good moment to, to interview her. And she's um, using Web3 technology as part of her offer and product or whatever. Yes, um, but I also uh, she also would group in, and, and I would as well actually, digital fashion in that, which mm. is kind of uh, clothes you cannot um, uh, touch or wear, but you know it only exists digitally. Sometimes they'll have a sort of physical equivalent, um, but uh, but yeah, um, I'm to the the fully honest answer is that I don't a hundred percent understand the business model or you know how it works, but again. Uh, I think she's got the right vision for this stuff in terms of that sort of moving towards mass adoption, helping, yeah, sell the dream. And I, I think she's somebody with huge potential. So I really want to watch what she's building um, with her startup. I think fashion is going to be a really interesting area for Web3 actually, because that is something where my cynicism about the metaverse decreases a bit because you can see people going, oh, I want to, you know, particularly people with significant money dealing in high level fashion can be interested in trying on and testing out digital versions of outfits before they spend time dealing with the real thing. I could, yeah, exactly. I could and you know, sizing and things like that. I can definitely see a world in which that becomes a thing. Cause we, I mean, um, we've had techno, I mean, is it, it's even like, might be like, there's like furniture brands and stuff, aren't there? Where you can do pretty crude, like, iterations of the phone that you're trying to get to see if it fits see if you like the look you know just using your phone so i can see why more advanced technology could work in that space yeah i mean another sort of big use case of when we're talking about digital fashion and this is gonna <laughs> this is definitely gonna bring out your inner cynic but um but i think Always. we're gonna see more of this which is just basically wearing digital fashion in order to capture it on social media mm. um of like um it might seem a bit mad but actually it's probably more ridiculous to just buy an outfit a physical item just to be worn a couple of times because you want to be seen on it on social media there, there is a lot of that behavior i know it's not everyone that's doing that but like well, gaming it's a huge thing well yeah um but there's there's you know overconsumption of real physical clothes we're probably gonna have to stop that at some point so maybe that's when we'll have a sort of bit of a pivot and kind of go oh actually maybe digital digital clothing digital belongings are going to start making more sense 
Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a fascinating space to watch. I suspect, because it normally is what happens, is that the -the over-the-top enthusiasm is going to be wrong and perhaps my total cynicism is going to be wrong. And as always, we kind of revert somewhere in the middle Mm -hmm. where there's some good use cases that are actually useful. There's a bit of nonsense on the fringes that doesn't really take off. And we sort of find a comfortable middle ground. That tends to be what happens in these spaces, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think you're going to be like burning all your clothes tomorrow and just wearing your clothes in the metaverse. So (laughs) I think that would cause quite a level of concern for a high number of people and probably would not go down well when I try and make it to the tube. (laughs) in the morning I don't think anyone would enjoy that and with that lovely image I'll say thank you very much to Lauren Ingram uh remind me where people can keep up with all your great work oh thank you uh so we are at women of web3 co on twitter and instagram that's because our website is womenofweb3.co uh and yeah I'm Lauren Ingram so I'm Lauren web3 on some of my channels Yep, I'll link to all of that. And the new podcast drops on, what is it, Wednesday? I can't work out Uh, the date. Thursday, 8th of June. We've got season two of the Women of Web3 podcast. Thursday, 8th of June. I'll link to the podcast as well. And you can obviously check out previous episodes as well. I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter. And between at Charlotte A. Henry and at Charlotte A. Henry, you can find me pretty much on any social media platform. Obviously, we're at theedition.net. And make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter at newsletter.theedition.net to get everything that comes out from the edition. Laura, thank you once again, and I'll see you all next week.